You are listening to the Hello Awesome Podcast, and this is episode number 118. Hey friends, thanks for being here with me on the podcast today. My name is JC Lee Polford, and 15 years ago, God transformed my world, and I'm now able to share his goodness and his grace with you through this incredible platform, this podcast, sharing stories of victory and freedom. Today is no different. In this episode, my guest was a pastor's kid who struggled with anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. It's a beautiful story of hope, but I am putting a warning for parents that the contents of this episode is for mature audiences only. We dive into mental health as a believer, serving the church, and the helpful narrative we can have to push back the stigma and into true healing. If you enjoy this discussion, then I suggest that you go back and listen to season two of the Hello Awesome podcast that is dedicated to Christian mental health, episodes 31 through 34. It's been a big passion of mine for years, and the more that we can share our stories and our victories with mental health, the more people feel less alone. All right, friends, don't forget, before I let you go, about our month-long podcast giveaway where you can win one of my books and a brand new notebook. Super easy to enter. Just leave a five-star review in iTunes telling me why you love the podcast. You can also DM me the review in Instagram at Live for your entry. Giveaway ends at the end of this month, the month of February. So please get those in for your chance to win. Okay, let's get to this powerful discussion. Like I said, parents, This is going to be a very intense conversation, so I just ask you to use your discretion. Here we go. This is episode number 118 that I am calling Faithfulness with Reagan Coltharp. Hey guys, I'm JC. Are you ready for real conversations about faith, business, and life? Me too. This is the Hello Awesome podcast where I bring forth topics and truthful insights That will encourage you to make intentional choices and pursue God with your whole heart. Are you ready to say hello to the awesome blessings that God has for you? All right, let's do this. Before we get started, let me share some amazing deals from a few friends of mine. California-based, female-owned, modest boutique Skirt Society has hand-picked pieces perfect for all sizes. For a limited time, use code HELLO10 for 10% off your next order at theskirtsociety.com. From hoodie sets to jumpers, up your fashion game this season. If you're trying to tame your mane like I am, it is time to invest in Uncut. Uncut offers a variety of hair care cleansing and strengthening products that will help restore and renew your long locks. Use code AWESOME10 for 10% off when you order from uncuthaircare.com today. Are you looking for modest clothing that's both high quality and affordable? Pencil skirts, layer tops, lace extenders, and more can be found at Nuggles. You can also find the cutest modest options for grade school age girls. Use code HelloAwesome10 for 10% off your purchase at www.nuggles.us. That's N U G G L 
es.us and stock up for all your layering needs. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hello Awesome podcast. I'm so excited that you're back here with me again. I have another wonderful guest for you today. Reagan, I am excited to have you on. I have seen you just very briefly sharing your testimony and what God has done in your life, but um, I wanted to give you an opportunity here to just share more about what God has done and just for you to take an opportunity to encourage other people. So uh, before we get into it, can you share with us who you are and what you do? Okay. Uh, hi, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much um, for asking me to be on the podcast. Um, so my name is Reagan Coltharp. I am from Aurora, Illinois, originally. So I was born and raised in the Chicago metro area. And uh, recently I have started uh, a job as a receptionist at a car dealership, but I was a barista at Starbucks for two years. And well, I guess like coffee snobs won't really call me a barista, but that's okay. I, I, I made some coffee <laughs> and then I worked um, in different like fast food areas. I was a nanny. I worked at fine dining and um, this last spring I graduated from Urshan College with my bachelor's in Christian ministry and now I'm working on my master's at uh, UGSD. Wow that's incredible. Well congratulations on graduating uh, especially during a pandemic so pat on your back. (laughs) Thank you I appreciate that. (laughs) And yeah I I am always just blown away when somebody like finishes school and they're like I'm gonna go do more school so (laughs) Oh, I, I want to seriously congratulate you on all of those things. Well, thank you. I mean, honestly, if I didn't feel like I should do it. I wouldn't be doing it. But, you know, God's plans are always better than ours. <laughs> it's a lot, but it's good lot. Yeah, I, I'm just grateful that you accepted the invitation to come on here and share your story. I was really thinking about you know, just what we've been going through has been very hard these last couple of years. And you shared a vulnerable testimony and it was posted on the UPCI Instagram page. And I'm sure in other places, um, I just, that's just where I saw it from. Um, but before we get into your testimony, how did that come about that you were able to share it with UPCI? All right. So, um, The first time that I ever publicly talked about, you know, um, my battle with mental health was at a service actually um, for our school. So every Wednesday night we'll have what we call Vespers, which is just a Wednesday night service and everything's put on by the students. So it's uh, all the music is done by the students, you know, the preachers are are the students, you know, and we have keynotes that go in between like some of the songs. And so in one of the keynotes, it was, I guess, my turn to go up. (laughs) And during that, I had shared very, very briefly, um, you know, about what it's like to be depressed. And, you know, I talked in that, you know, I talked about how no matter what you're feeling, like you can still rest on the faithfulness of God, you know, that it transcends momentary feelings, even if those feelings last for years, is that when you know God is there and God is faithful, that he can get you through anything, no matter how you feel. And somebody, I guess, who was there um, started working with headquarters or already worked with headquarters. They didn't really tell me who reached out, but 
through that, then they turn reached out to me and asked if I would share a little bit more on that. Yeah. And how did that make you feel when they reached out and they were like, can you share this with millions of people? I'm sick to my stomach. (laughs) That's how I felt. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not very, I'm not, whenever someone's like, oh, you know, go up and do this. My first um, initial reaction is to want to vomit. (laughs) Um, It Uh doesn't really come easy to me to um, talk about myself or even do anything where people are looking at me. I'd rather be behind the scenes doing something, you know, or a part of a collective. But um, I told God um, during like that part of my life that if he wants me to do something, I'll do it, whether I want to do it or not. And I did. And it ended up actually being awesome. And a lot of people have come back and talked to me about it and talked about like, we're we're able to be open in their situations and find peace through knowing they're not alone. So I praise God for it, but I did not, I was not like, yay, let me, let me go share the goodness of God though. I was happy to do it. That wasn't necessarily my emotional reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling that most people that obey the call of God feel that same way when an opportunity comes to, you know, really share the goodness of God or really minister, uh, our flesh gets kind of sick. Um, but we still obey and we do it anyway, because that's what we are called to do. So I really do appreciate it because I do think it did touch a lot of lives. And, um, yeah, why don't you just start from wherever, um, wherever you're comfortable with of your story of, of walking through depression, walking through, you know, really dark time in your mental health. And, and then we'll, we'll talk about what God did. Yeah. All right. Um, so when I think of where it all starts, it usually starts for me before I realized what was going on. Mm -hmm. So when I was, um, when everything came to like a climax, I was 16 and I found myself contemplating suicide pretty much like if I was thinking like, okay, what do I want from the grocery store? It was kind of those, you know, it's, it's something I could do. Like, it's not a big deal. You know, I was really desensitized from the idea of dying uh, at that point or desensitized from most emotions in the first place. But Um, from the time I was even in kindergarten, I had always struggled with anxiety and I didn't realize what it was until I started going to counseling around being 16. Um, I used to go to the grocery store and if my mom would ask me to go and get something or like to ask a employee where something was, I'd walk into the aisle next to it, sit down for maybe five minutes. And then I walk right back and say they were out because the idea of talking to someone and even just asking a simple question, like, was out of the question for me. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, like, even I have an uh, aunt that lives less than a mile away from me. Grew up, you know, I would see her all the time here at church, and we had family things, you know. So I knew this person intimately. And I would sit in her house sometimes, and she'd be like, do you want water? And I'd be like, no, I'm fine. And it had been, like, six hours since I'd been there, and I hadn't eaten all day. And I was like, I'm, like, thirsty as I'll get out but I still like didn't want to impose that. And I didn't realize that was not normal. I have a chemical predisposition to negative mental states. 
um, on my mom's side, my grandfather was bipolar and um, they have a history of depression running in the family. And, you know, that's just the cards I'm dealt with. And, you know, you have to live with what you have. So yeah. having all of those things going on already and not knowing what they are and why I'm different and processing that. Um, then when I was about 12, I was bullied and that really crushed me. Um, I mean, even when I look back on it, sometimes I'll minimize how I felt in that moment, you know, thinking I made a big deal out of it. But then you meet a middle schooler and you realize, man, these kids are me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, sometimes so I, I, it's hard for me to find children that are more mean than like the 12 to 14 range. It's, That's it's pretty very difficult. It is. Yeah. It is brutal. That's a really hard age. And I have a feeling that most people that are listening to this, they remember a time around that age when they were bullied. And it's, it's something that, I mean, God is really bringing this together because I just spoke to a guest the other day who talked about bullying and how that impacted her, her self-esteem and her confidence. And I uh, confessed that I actually, yes, I was bullied, but I actually played the role of the bully um, when I was in school. And it is true that most people who are bullies have wounds. They're just very hurt. And they, um, I had uh, my parents separated when I was like eight and I was, I was just mad and I was just angry. And I'm like, well, you know, if I see a quiet girl like Reagan, I might be like, eh, you know, it, it, people just, they just target somebody that could make themselves feel better. And it just makes everybody feel worse. Yeah. And that's the thing that's, you, it's so true because the, like you're trying to find yourself and then there's so many, like you said, with um, your own personal experience, there's things going on that people don't realize. And so you're lashing out and they're what you can't control. And you're using what you can control, which is your words. And sometimes people younger than you or weaker than you. And it's not until you realize later, you're like, oh, wow, that was, that was less than, less than good. Right. Um, yeah. And in turn, actually, I was homeschooled after sixth grade going on until I graduated high school. And all of those uh, emotions for me ended up, I targeted my mother. So hmm. pray for her. <laughs> she has <laughs> not had an easy experience for me, but she has made it through and I've made it through. Um, also, if you're a mother out there and you're wondering if it ever gets better, it can. So yeah, just, just remember that it's not always going to be the best way it is. So um, yeah, so after sixth grade, I was homeschooled and that helped in a lot of ways because I was very easily influenced and I do think I would have not hung out with very good crowds based on my friend group at that time and knowing my inclinations. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I got into a lot of things as a teenager that I shouldn't have gotten into and that didn't help the situation. And I felt, I think that every teenager feels alone, no matter what your situation is. So mm-hmm. dealing with hormones and then chemical imbalances and um, everything kind of just climaxed to a point where I didn't feel like anybody loved me and I didn't feel like I had any friends and I didn't really have a purpose the whole time, you know, I would like go to a camp or go to a convention and, you know, there'd be the 
good surfaces where you broke through and then I'd come home and then remind myself like, oh, you're just worthless and you're a hypocrite because every time you come back, you're not, you know, you know, you don't change. Like you say, you're going to be different when you're not. So. Right. Cause you were still taught. in church. Yeah. You were still so, in yeah, church, going to church. Yeah. Yeah. I was raised in a pastor's home. Um, if anybody had, you know, enough of the Holy ghost around them, it was me. So it can happen anywhere. Sometimes I think sometimes um, pastors, kids get a bad rep. Yeah. And sometimes it's rightfully so, but also I don't feel like we should be treating pastor kids necessarily differently because of that. I think everybody's different. And if there's some pressures that people are not going to be able to hold, that's why we're different, you know, and you can't really hold pastors kids to the same example as you do like a grown adult like they're just a kid right so um yeah I was practically bathed in the holy ghost around me but it didn't matter I wanted I you know it was almost rebellious against my parents in a way because I couldn't control what I wanted to do or my emotions and so I remember like screaming at my mother like you can't make me tell you how I feel and you can't make me tell you how I think like that's what I can control. And yeah. looking back on that, I'm like, oh my goodness, my poor mother. <laughs> I can't imagine being a mom and, you know, loving your child and just laughing yeah. out like that. You know? That's a very difficult, I mean, that's a hard age. And yeah, like you were saying, a lot of emotions, you're going through so many changes in your physical body. Emotions are just wild, man. Uh, just We have no control over them around that age. And then you throw in the spiritual aspect and just, I'm sure you had a lot of pressure. You felt maybe um, a lot of expectations. Maybe you were, you had expectations for yourself and then you felt expectations from other people. And that could be a lot. Yeah, it it can be. It definitely was for a portion of my life, but after a while, I don't remember when it necessarily switched. I just stopped caring about anything, you know? Um, Part of that time in my life is that I did start distancing myself from God because I felt like he wasn't there and that he didn't care. When you're in a situation where you can't see past your pain, you either have to blame someone or you're left confused and wondering the whole time. And I blamed, you know, I blamed God for how I was feeling that if he loved me, I wouldn't be in this pain. Like if I blamed you know, my mom, like, if she didn't do this, I wouldn't be lonely, or that's not necessarily true, you know, and part of growing is realizing that however you feel is fundamental truths don't change based on your feelings or circumstance, so once I decided to blame God and blame my parents and blame everybody who walked by and they didn't like me and I didn't like myself, you know, it kind of just spiraled into a hopelessness to the point where I just didn't want to be around anymore. Um, I remember it was a Sunday morning when I like had this definite thought in my mind of, oh, okay, I'm going to kill myself this week. And I was standing on the platform of our church and I was singing on the praise team. And that's when it happened. That's when in my head, like, that was it. And it wasn't like a vengeful kind of act. It was, I'm just tired of trying, Mm. you know, I'm tired of how I feel I'm tired of wishing it was different and there's nothing for me anyway because all I could see was how I felt 
in that moment and how I felt for the last couple of years and what I couldn't control. And so I sang the same songs that I grew up singing and in my whole head, my head the whole time, it was, Lord, help me not kill myself. Like if you're there, help me not kill myself. And I said that over and over and over again until, you know, we finished the last three songs and I sat down and I wrote in my journal, I'm going to kill myself this week. And um, the thing about me shutting my parents out, you know, the whole control thing of you don't get to know how I feel and you don't get to know how I think is that they didn't even know that I was at that point. You know, they didn't even know anything because I wouldn't let them know. You know, we'd sit at dinner and everybody be talking and I'd just sit there sometimes. Or we would have, you know, we would do school and then I'd go up to my room. I lock myself in my room unless my mother made me come out for dinner or something you know like I completely isolated myself and so in my head it was a definite decision I was just going to do it I wasn't going to leave a note and then the next day I went to go around my schedule as usual and without even thinking about it my mom was just talking to me asking me a question and I just said I, I can't do it anymore and she was like what you can't do what like I can't live anymore I just can't do it and honestly um I felt like God wasn't there on Sunday when he didn't, you know, change how I felt or he didn't reveal himself in some way. But when it didn't seem like he was faithful, then he still had a plan for the next day, you know? And so I told my mom and she's like, okay, um, we need to go see someone and talk to someone. And we couldn't see somebody that day. So the next day we went and, drove to an outpatient care. So if you, if you're not familiar with um, what happens when you tell someone that you're suicidal is that um, they take you to someone and they ask you a couple questions, you know, do you feel like you're a danger to yourself right now? Do you think that if you go home, they'll do something? Are you like, are you going to harm yourself? And if you say yes to any of those, basically, then you're put into inpatient care is where they watch you usually it's about like four to five days sometimes seven but they um even we were driving to the outpatient care for me to get you know talk to someone we like passed over railroad tracks and I remember thinking like oh that's a that's a cool way like if you noticed a hot air balloon when you're driving you're like oh look at that like I saw the train tracks and I was like well I could you know I could find a way to do that maybe like it wasn't me looking for attention it was literally just that's for me reality was I don't want to be here anymore so that's I'm just planning until it's done so long story is uh I get there and they ask me you know do you think you're harmed yourself do you think that you can go home you know and to each each time I said I don't know because I'm just checked out at this point and so um I went outside and I sat with my mom and they came out and told me, you know, um, we're going to have to call an ambulance and they're going to take you to a hospital and they're going to keep you until we can find somewhere to put you. So, you know, I was like sitting there kind of emotionless. My mom was crying and an ambulance comes and uh, I get in the ambulance and I'm just kind of like talking to the guy who's sitting there in there with me until we get to the hospital and Mm-hmm. Like after a couple hours, um, I get checked into this inpatient care and that's when things kind of changed 
I got on some good meds, which I will say if your doctor tells you to be on medicine, please do. My grandfather was bipolar and when he took his medicine, he was good. And when he didn't, um, he wasn't. And I've never really got to know him because of that. I think that a lot of mental illnesses that can be treated with some sort of medicine, you know, even if it's short term, listen to your doctor. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're less than. If there's something wrong with my leg, I'd take something for my leg. If there's something wrong with my back, I'd have surgery and take something for my back. You know, your brain's just another part of your body. And if you're supposed to be a good steward over it, then you're supposed to take care of it. So listen to your doctor if anybody listens and thinks you're less than. So I was in inpatient care for about six days, and then they released me for outpatient care, which I would go from 9 a.m. till about 3 p.m. in the afternoon for a month. And during that time, it would be, in, I'd get there, and there's a lot of other kids who just got out of uh, inpatient. Like some of them I saw from inpatient, you know, like we had like a little bit of a friend group. We weren't allowed to talk to anybody afterwards, but we, you know, you get to know the people you're with. And so it was group therapy and individual therapy and uh, activities together. And those who had schoolwork, you know, there's a time where we did schoolwork, you know, it was, you know, trying to get us back into a schedule in a healthy way and still make sure that we're getting through therapy. So um, when I got out of the hospital and started doing inpatient care, my first service back, I remember um, just being at the altar and I just realized for the first time in my life, like there's nothing to live for by God and that he cares for you so much more than you can imagine. So we started to, you know, I started working on my relationship with God and I realized that through the last couple of years of my life where I felt like nobody cared or nothing would ever get better or nothing was worth living for is that God was still there the whole time. And at any point he could have been there for me, not just there available, but I didn't have to do it alone. And I chose to because I was angry. I didn't know what to do. And I didn't ask, but it, I didn't have to do it alone. And so it's when I got out and I found myself at an altar that I really realized like the only thing that's really keeping me grounded is, you know, that God has a purpose for my life. And that there's nothing in this world that's good enough, but him and that we're made that way. And that's okay. And so as long as I have him, and I know that it doesn't matter what happens or what I lose or what I gain, or what my life looks like, but you have what you need because you have him. And that's kind of really the biggest blessing that's come out of my life is that no matter what's happened afterwards, you know, it wasn't a automatically I'm free from depression and anxiety, though that would be nice. Um, you know, I still struggle with anxiety and there are times that if I let myself, I'll spiral down. But even now, However, I feel I know that God is good and that I don't have to worry about what's going to happen or what has happened because I know he takes care of us and he loves us and that he has a purpose for our life. I was on medication for a little bit after that. I currently don't take any medication. I have gone through my, the rest of my um, high school years. I was taking uh, two different, uh, like an antidepressant and a, an anti-anxiety medication. And then when I started college I stopped 
and mm-hmm. I haven't really taken any since. But every time you know the season changes, uh, I re- realize that my hormones change, and um, yeah. even like if I'm not very careful about guarding my thoughts and checking my thoughts when they come into my mind, I will allow myself to fall into over being overly anxious and worrying versus just being normally anxious and reminding myself that it's okay. How is the narrative around mental health when you were finding yourself at the altar, coming back to church? Did you hear any comments that kind of made you feel um, encouraged or was it more of like, wow, like we really need to talk more about this in church? I think that the biggest narrative around mental health I had was my own. And that really centered around, um, I'm not enough because I need something and I must be a broken person that can never be fixed because I'm taking medication or, wow, I'm just a big cry baby (laughs) because I'm depressed. You know, I have heard before both sides of, you know, if, if you really want to be healed from depression, like come up to the altar right now and God wants to heal you right now. And I've gone up to those altars and it hasn't happened and leaving that discouraged. But at the same time, I've gone up and I've heard people who've talked about like, you know, it's okay if you're depressed for the rest of your life. And I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) You know, you don't have to live like that 24-7. I think that we need a very healthy balance of how we treat it. And it starts from the foundation on which we start building our narrative on it, which is the brain is a part of the body. And if you're going to take care of your body and be a good steward over it, then that includes your mental health. I know that my mom and my dad have always been very supportive of, you know, people going to counseling and taking their medicine and doing what they need to do. I know that sometimes it can be abused and I don't think that's every case. And I think if somebody's trying to milk mental illness for attention, that that's a sign that there's something wrong there anyway. So mm-hmm. if, I think that as a church, we should teach people that God loves you. And whether that means you have some sort of problem with your back that's chronic or some problem with your brain that's chronic, and you need to do what you need to do to make sure that you can function at the best you know, possible way. How important was praising God to you in your healing? Oh man, that was, it was, um, powerful. Even, um, listening to a song on the way home and I think it's like anything is possible and the bridge is, um, all of my fear, I will turn into praise, shake off despair as I like sing out your name. You know, I will dance out in faith and it's talking about no matter how I'm feeling, I'm going to give you praise because you're worthy and just exalting him above our emotions. And I've there, no, even in dark parts of my life being in an altar and praising God is it reminds me that my situation and anything the enemy has for me or any kind of emotions does not mean I cannot praise God Mm. it does not mean that I cannot live in victory because even if you're struggling and you are still living in a glorifying way to God, and you're choosing to glorify God, then that is victory. 
It's like you can see two people swimming and wonder why one of them is drowning and you don't see that there's like 10 pound weights attached to their feet, you know, is that as long as you're making it, you know, that nothing can take away your praise. And sometimes your praise looks like you're raising your hand and you're doing all you can just to mumble out words. And sometimes it looks like you're dancing in an altar is that worshiping during hard times in your life will bring you through i mean that's something so beautiful about the the psalms is that if anybody's kind of had to face some things like david david kind of earns a couple badges of honor there you know um Mm. but still when he is being attacked by what's supposed to be israel's authority and leadership somebody he's supposed to be able to trust and allow you know to be under and respect you know, when he's running from Saul or when he's running from his children is that he still chooses to praise God, no matter what his enemies are doing or no matter what's going on in his life. And that's real. I feel like that's true freedom is that no matter what circumstances you still have the ability and the choice to praise God. And that once you make that decision is that no matter how it is, I'm going to give God praise. No matter what I think he's doing, I'm going to give God praise. Like that's freedom love that and it's true and it's something that I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you phrased it that way because um I didn't think of the word freedom but that is exactly what it is and there ha- definitely has been times where um where I definitely I mean I was depressed and I I didn't feel like it you don't you really do get to a, p- a point where you're like you're emotionally not there you're checked out and you're like i don't feel like doing this and then you have to find that song i mean just put something on get yourself out of yourself by getting your focus onto the lord and you know we are so blessed to have access to music the way we, the way that we do and i know that that's something that I think some of us take for granted, you know, we can just jump on YouTube or Pandora or Spotify and find something, but we have to use those tools, especially now, Um, you know, we're walking through some really crazy times and it is easy to, to get down. Um, But I do agree that no matter what happens, if we could praise the Lord, we will feel freedom um, in that praise because of his goodness, not because we're good. Um, because he's, he's awesome and he deserves all glory. And, um, this kind of leads me to my next question is what are you thankful for? What are you praising God for today? You know, um, honestly, every day that I wake up, I praise God that I'm here. I've had, I, I shouldn't be here one because, you know, I was, extremely close to suicide but also there are car wrecks and instances when I was a child with um, physical health and there are more times that I can count that make sense for me not to be here today and I still am so I guess right now definitely I'm thankful that I'm here and in church and I have a purpose. Um, I'm thankful that it gets better every stage of my life. When there's a transition, there's always this looming fear of, 
oh, everything that was good is going to go. And now I'm, I don't know what I'm doing and it's going to be bad. And I'm mm-hmm. never, it's not going to work out right. And I'm not prepared enough. And thank God it's not up to us, you know, always what happens. So that's a little stress reliever there, but I'm thankful that through every situation that I found myself in, that God is still faithful. Um, recently, this last March, my grandfather passed away. And it's been a really hard year. You know, he was supposed to be at my graduation and mm. he was supposed to be at Easter. And, you know, like you have to get used to all of these things that are supposed to be a certain way. And you expect it to be a certain way. And it's not. But even through all that, you know, the fact that though we mourn now, I have this reassurance in my spirit that I don't have to mourn like people who don't have hope. Because we have a hope that lasts beyond 2021 and 2022 and right now. Is that there's so much hope even in the middle of darkness our lives and every step of our lives you can never fully put it out there's such beauty in that you know hun mm-hmm. I got engaged this year so that's something that's awesome I'm thankful for I'm thankful for my fiance Alexander he is yeah. such a light and a wonderful person in my life um he's always he's hasn't really struggled with um mental illness but he's very understanding and loving and always helps remind me no, you're not crazy. No, it's okay. You know, <laughs> you know, it keeps me grounded. I'm just thankful that, you know, God is good, that we can trust him. I know that kind of sounds like a very churchy answer, but <laughs> truthfully. It's a real answer. And I appreciate it very much. And definitely sorry to hear about your grandfather. We also had a grandfather pass away last year too. And a few other deaths in the family. And that's just hard and never easy, especially going through what we've all been going through. And it's getting better for you. And congratulations on the engagement. That's just, that's a special, special thing. Um, There's nothing like that season when you get engaged. And it's just, you know, just so fun and so special. And I was just thinking before we kind of wrap up here, I was going to ask you if you wouldn't mind. I mean, you've given so much hope and so much um, encouragement to to people already. But what would you say to the teenager, to the young adult, to the person right now who was where you were, is in church or maybe is on the fence. Maybe they are trying to come back to church, but they're really struggling with their mental health and it's just overwhelming to them. What were the words that you wanted to hear or what should they hear? I always have trouble with this question because, you know, the things that I feel like I needed to hear, I didn't listen to, (laughs) you know, but um honestly uh i guess it's that no matter how many times you feel like you're a failure or you can't do it 
or that you're not good enough is that God never gives up on you. You only give up on yourself. Is that even if you're struggling, you're still fighting. And to never stop fighting. You know, I know that it's hard to think outside of how you feel right now that it will ever get better. Like that there's hope that things will change, but it will. And if you will hold on to truths and acknowledge that I can trust these things no matter how I feel. And I can do this even if I feel like it or not. If you can hold on to God is good and he will take care of me and he loves me and he cares about me. And you will just go day by day, whether it's an easier day or it's been the hardest day you've had in a while. If you'll just keep going, you will reach another, another side of it. That you don't have to do it all perfectly. And you won't because you're not supposed to. Nowhere does it say that we're supposed to do these things perfectly. No, we never will. But don't ever stop trying. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to keep trying. I really appreciate that. That was so good. And it is so very true. And yeah, maybe you don't want to hear that right now. Uh, If you're struggling and you're going through some things, it's easy to shut people out because it's hard to really look at the situation in a realistic way. But you are loved and we don't know you, but we love you through the body of Christ. We love you as a, you know, brother and sister in Christ. But most importantly, God does love you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There are things that he wants accomplished in your life. And, you know, Reagan, you said it really good. You know, just keep trying. It's it's okay to not be perfect. We're not called to be perfect. Uh, he just wants us to be willing. And so if you have to take things day by day, then take them day by day. If you have to take them hour by hour, some days yeah. are like that, then take breath it by hour breath. by hour. <laughs> break by break. And yeah, find a mentor, find somebody in the church who you can trust, who you can, you know, text when you have hard times. I think that's important too. There are a couple people that I have in my life that know the very dark parts of my heart. Um you know, my husband being one of them. Um, but I do have a couple of friends who, um, who I can just say, Hey, can you pray for me? I'm having a really, really bad day. And I know that when they say I'm praying for you, they're actually praying. Yeah. (laughs) They're not just texting that to make themselves feel good, you know? Yeah. And it's always okay to reach out for help. Like, even if you don't know what you're doing, you know, there have been many times where there's been people in my life that I can go to and talk to or I just show up. They're like, Hey, can I talk to you? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And so I, I like show up and I'm just crying. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And they're like, it's okay. Let's talk about it. And then you leave and you feel better a little bit, you know, it's because, you know, there are people who care about you, whether you feel like it or not, like it's okay to get help. Nobody knows what they're doing. All right. We're all just doing our best. <laughs> We're just trying our best. Yeah, like anybody who tells you they have it all together is lying or in denial. Yeah, that's never that nobody ever no. I think like people have learned some things and so they probably like appear to be, you know, 
maybe past a certain point in something, but they're all dealing with something. They're dealing with something mm-hmm. else. And yeah, none of us know what we're doing. We're all flesh. We're all bone. We're all humans. We're not superhuman. And it's, you know, I always say, I always say this, we're not robots to expect yourself mm-hmm. to expect other people to expect, you know, your to have these expectations of yourself to be on point a hundred percent of the time, whenever you're awake mm-hmm. to be, uh, um, flawless up at 5am every day. It's- and I've read for <laughs> four hours in the Bible and uh, prayed for eight, you know, like it's, that it's doesn't a lot. work for I me. Mean, <laughs> and that's the thing is, is everybody has different schedules. Everybody has different needs. Uh, every family is different. Every household is different. Every personality is different. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we can see that in the Bible. There are so many different Bible characters. And I mean, they did not all do the same things and they did not all follow God the same way, but um, God still used them and he can still use us. And as long as you are holding on and, and really, you know, plugging into community and staying tethered to the body of Christ, even if you don't want to be there, just still go because yeah. in your obedience, there is going to be healing that's going to take place. Yeah. And you probably aren't going to see it right away because I know that was the case for me. There has been many times it was hard to even get in the car and go. But yeah. then when you, when you get home, you know, maybe not even that I'm night, so glad but you did. maybe a different time. Yeah. You're glad that you went and, um, and you, you just know when you get into those spaces, it does make you feel less alone. It may take a yeah. while, but it's true. Yeah. And even with, um, you know, sometimes like even now, like I'll get in the car and like, I don't want to go to this event, you know, like I don't go see these people. It's not because I don't like them. It's just, you know, like you get, once you get in the car, you're like, oh, wait, my whole life, like, oh, I could do this. Oh, but I have so much to do. Mm-hmm. Like if you're worried about talking to other people or, oh no, is somebody going to save me a seat? Just, you know, look for the person who's waiting for someone to talk to them. If you change your mindset instead of like, no one's going to talk to me. It's like, who can I talk to and make them have a better time? And surprisingly, like some of us introverts out there, some of us that are a little you know anxious about everything, it'll help you be better because you're not focusing on yourself. You're focusing on how can I help other people feel better? Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good. Well, I I'm so thankful that you, you know, shared your story. I want to really thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, really, um, it's blown away with the power of God and, it's true. We do hear sometimes these testimonies that are big and, you know, they got delivered from the altar in one day, in one service, everything changed. And that might be true. That might be true for some of you. Um, I know that was true for a couple of things in my life, but uh, we are still part of this world and we still live in on earth and with our, you know, with our flesh. And so um, like you said, Reagan, you, you know, have to walk through this um, mindset of having hope 
and God's faithfulness and praising him even when you don't want to. And that's going to heal you as you move on. And I'm just thankful for your story and for giving people encouragement out there because I definitely know that we need it now. Well, thank you for having me. I was, you know, I know that I'm not always the most eloquent. eloquent. <laughs> that's funny. And, you know, have all the right words or what to say. But you know, thanks for thinking of me and allowing the Lord to lead you. And I appreciate it. Well, where can everybody find you on online, on social media? Um, I know we're introverts, but <laughs> if they wanted to reach out to you, uh, where can they? Yeah, that's good. Actually, after that video, a lot of people were like reached out to me and it was so encouraging to hear their stories. So yeah, my um, Instagram is underscore Reagan Lee and that's R-E-A-G-A-N-L-E-E. And um, if you look at my name, it says Reagan Cole Farr without a P. And that's, you know, I, it was a typo on Facebook. I just never fixed it. (laughs) So that's me. And then the same with Facebook is just Reagan Coltar. Well, thank you so much, Reagan, for being on the podcast and sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me. Glad to do it. Before I let you go, if you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, there is help. Please call the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. You can also visit the website at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. I pray that Reagan's story inspires those who need it to reach out and get help. There is hope right now, and you are never alone. If you found this episode inspiring or helpful, would you take a screenshot of it and share it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at HelloAwesomeLive? I would be so encouraged. Also, please leave a five-star review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts sharing how God used this to bless you. Don't forget to subscribe so you can tune into future episodes. To learn more about Hello Awesome and shop inspirational products, head to helloawesome.live using the promo code HELLO10 for 10% off your next purchase. Until next time, keep your chin up beautiful.